This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. Paul Hiraga, also known as the band Down Pilot, is my guest. Like most of my episodes, we discuss how he started playing music. Unlike most of my guests, the guitar he learned to play on was haunted. But that didn't deter him. And Paul discovered he had a natural aptitude for music theory. In fact, he used to get in trouble because he would finish his lessons so fast, his mom thought he wasn't doing them when she'd catch him outside playing. And Paul started playing in bands in Minneapolis in the 80s and moved to Seattle in the 90s. But what's funny is that none of his music sounds like the typical music from those areas of that time. He discusses how unusual influences like British trip-hop, as well as starting his last band in his 30s, has really influenced not only his sound, but his outlook on recording and touring. And the band's name has also had its own set of issues. He even considered changing it just before the band's first EP was released, since that was just after 9-11, and the words down pilot didn't exactly have positive connotations at the time. He's got a new album out, and it continues his philosophy of balancing light music with dark lyrics and vice versa. It's called The Forecast, and it's not a pandemic album. Paul consciously tried to avoid doing that album. We wrap up talking about plastic cameras and photography, but pick up the new album on Tepeta Records through Bandcamp or wherever you get music. Follow Down Pilot on Facebook or at Down Pilot on Instagram. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media and support us with coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety or merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Paul of Downpilot on performance anxiety on Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, this is Paul Haraga from the band Downpilot. Uh, I've got a new album out called The Forecast, and uh, you're listening to Performance Anxiety Podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, you can cut it up and make it sound bad. What I like to do is to kind of find out a little bit about how you got into the whole industry you're in and uh, the where you are currently in your career. So I kind of like to start from the beginning and find out how you got into music in the first place. Were you, did you grow up around music? Were you, was it uh, a big part of, of the household growing up or was it something that you found on your own? It was... Um, it was definitely in the house. My mom, she sang in like the choir. We, I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and she sang with the university choir and they did like, you know, the Handel's Messiah at oh, Christmas, wow. which was a big deal. And, and so, you know, she had that and she made me take piano lessons when I was in first grade. Ah. <laughs> and, and so that's how I started. And, um, Apparently I was, um, I was pretty good at theory because, uh, she would tell me that my sister also was, who was also taking piano lessons would be sitting at the piano, like in her theory book for hours and working on it. And then she told me to do it. And then all of a sudden I was outside playing and she would go out to scold me like you didn't do your theory. And I was like, yeah, I did. And like, she checked the book and it was like, boom, it was done. <laughs> so wow. I, I guess, I guess I understood the theory pretty well. Um, and yeah, yeah. So like after a couple of years of piano lessons, I wasn't too interested in playing the stuff that I was being taught, which was like, you know, classical music. So I asked if I could learn drums. And so then I started playing drums and 
kind of did that through like junior high and high school, like, you know, marching band and symphony orchestra oh, yeah. and stuff like that. I got a house full of kids doing that right now. But oh, yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And then like slowly, I just kind of gravitated back towards keyboards, more picking out songs that I liked, um, you know, and was learning stuff by ear. And then also just picked up the guitar. There was this like guitar that had been sitting in uh, our television room for years and was like spontaneously breaking strings on the walls. It was like haunted. (laughs) (laughs) And one day I just decided I wanted to, to learn to play it. So I I just got a chord chart and started like learning it and kind of took to that pretty well. So I've never had a lesson on guitar. That's like my favorite, favorite one to play of all three, but it's the one that I've never studied. That's because it's haunted. Exactly. (laughs) You don't have to take lessons on a haunted guitar. That that explains my music, right? (laughs) (laughs) So at what point did you start playing music on on your own, you know, not in marching band or in school. When when were you gr- going with friends and and forming bands? Um, so like by the end of high school, with like some band, like jazz band fellow players, okay. we started like getting together and playing, you know, the the radio hits, and eventually a few of us after graduating from high school, like kind of went off and started playing functions like parties and weddings. Okay. And at that same time, then I kind of started playing in the Ann Arbor scene, like more the original music scene. Keyboardists were in high demand. And so that's sort of how I initially got going with uh, playing with local bands. So, you know, Ann Arbor was a pretty cool music scene back then. And there was a lot of original music, a lot of blues and R&B and stuff like that, which was, you know, I was doing some of that, too, which was uh, kind of a good base to to learn. OK. But, uh, yeah. So like in Ann Arbor, I was playing that for a while and then I, I just kind of started catching the bug for songwriting. And it was totally not in any of the veins of music that I had been playing. I was like way more into like the emerging indie scene, like definitely like the Athens music scene really caught me and the Paisley underground in, in Los Angeles. And so all of a sudden I was like, I'm just playing guitar and I'm going to play this dreamy, jangly, <laughs> uh, you know, non-specific pop music. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how it started. And um, right after that, I moved to Minneapolis. Okay. And I lived there for about a decade and uh, kind of initially uh, the people that I met, I started working at a CD distribution, Eastside Digital which became Rykodisc. Oh, okay. And the people working there were very active in the music scene. Brian Paulson, who, um, you know, was in a lot of bands and he also produced Uncle Tupelo and Squirrel Nut Zippers and lo- lots of lots of different people. He was part of the scene there. And, and um, I ended up joining a band for a short period of time called Breaking Circus. And they were on Homestead Records and it was like the the whole Chicago Steve Albini naked ray gun post punk thing, which was super exciting and like really fun and different. But, you know, like after a while, I was just like, this is great, but it isn't quite the fit. Okay, uh, and I wanted to, uh, you know, again, kind of get to my music. So then, you know, I, I formed a band called the Mings 
and we put out a, an album of, you know, it was kind of more like, it's kind of big star influence. Okay. Beatles, Beatles and big star. And, that, you know, very the big band sounds of the Mings. Yo, yeah. Hey, how about that? All right. Yeah. See, I, I try to do my research. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> not, not too many people know about that one. At what point did singing come in? Because you, you sing in, in your band. I mean, your band, Downpilot, is you, basically, for all intents and purposes until you play live, if I'm reading everything correctly. But when did singing come into play? Um, you know, I was always I was always interested in singing, and I was always kind of shy about it like when I was younger. And so I was much more comfortable playing in other people's bands. But like when I was still back in Ann Arbor and formed that first band, I was the lead singer and that was my first time like leading a band as the lead singer. Oh, wow. Um, and it was terrifying. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, and I don't think I was very good at it back then. I think I was just, um, not breathing enough. I was just too uptight. Oh, but, wow. But, but, you know, by the time I was um, leading the Mings, I was definitely figuring it out. So with Breaking Circus, now, are, are you on the recorded output of Breaking Circus? You know, I actually, the my time in the band, uh, their first album, uh, EP came out and some band members quit and I joined and then did some touring with them and they were just finishing up the recording of the second album. So I never made it onto recording. Uh, I, I'm a, the liner notes of the second album, I get thanked, but <laughs> that's my only <laughs> appearance on a Breaking Circus album. Okay. Is, is that the Ice Machine album? Yes. Okay. So you kind of, <laughs> you kind of snuck in there between stuff. Yeah. I didn't stick around long enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not the right fit, man, you know, it's not the right fit. Yeah. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. PureSpectrumCBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. At that point, you're in Minneapolis and you've ended up moving to Seattle. Yeah. Now, you're in, those are two areas that sound nothing like the music you make. So when I think of Minneapolis, I think of, you know, Husker Du and, and, and you know, replacements and and you know minneapolis punk and when i think of seattle you know you, you think of grunge and your music does not sound anything like that i mean has it always been you've, you've got more of a, of a laurel canyon kind of sound is is that the way you've always written in in a in a more singer songwriter vein uh yeah i think that's kind of you know like i remember when I first started writing and recording in Minneapolis, like early Ming stuff, you know, I, I liked the more ag aggressive sound, but, you know, just hearing myself back singing it, I just didn't really like the way it sounded. And, you know, you just learn from your recordings and hearing them back and figuring out what sounds good. And, you know, but people also forget, you know, like Minneapolis during that time of, you know, replacements and Husker Du, there was also, you know, the Jayhawks. That's true. And they were contemporaries, you know, like I, I knew those guys and, oh, cool. you know, and also sang with, uh, played with a singer, Lori Ray and a woman named Lisa Wooster. And they were much more like singer, singer songwriter types and, you okay. know, playing playing acoustic guitars and and so yeah yeah there was definitely a scene uh there what was the transition like from the mings to down pilot because down pilot's first recordings started out as as a started as a full band how did you go from one band to another was there a decision like that i'm through with the mings I'm, i want to start a whole new project or was it a little more gradual so the Mings kind of dissolved just because like I had, a, we were a trio and the two other guys in the Mings were kind of like jobber musicians. They were 
making their living and kind of slaves to like going and playing on these like gambling casino boats oh, in, okay. in Iowa and stuff. And they were just totally unavailable. And I would, I just got really frustrated with like, I would book gigs and they would cancel and not be able to make shows. And I just said, this is, this isn't going to work. So the band broke up, unfortunately, kind of right after the album came out. Oh man. And, and then just life sort of took over and I was kind of adventurous about wanting to move to different cities and eventually like settled in Seattle and quite a few years went by in between oh, um, okay. the end of the Mings and moving to Seattle and actually down pilot did not begin as a band. It kind of initially was these solo recordings that I, I had just kind of gotten a little, you know, like a little, um, digital record, my first digital recorder and, uh, just had these songs I was putting together and I just felt like I want to go in a little different direction than this power pop stuff. And that's just what, you know, like making recordings by myself that kind of changed it naturally. And that's what came out. And then the EP, I was about to put it out and then I hooked up with the first musicians who were involved in Down Pilot and we started playing those songs and then two more songs, I think, got added to that first EP f with the band. Oh, okay. okay. And then, so we were a band for that period of time and then we started the first LP with that band and then a few members changed through the, the first two albums, but it was, you know, it was pretty much the same core for those first two albums. And, and then it kind of eventually became more of a solo project. Okay. Okay. So I, w I went back and I've listened to everything and the first EP is really cool. I love Antidote. The, oh, cool. Uh, the mood that you can, that you create with that is the, the stuff that always kind of catches my ear, that moody guitar, but these awesome harmonies. draws me in, in into the whole discography oh, and thanks. i really like the sound that you've got it's got this I'm, and i'm sure you've heard it all the time is this is laurel canyon airy california vibe especially nowadays it's kind of refreshing because you hear yeah lot, i hear you <laughs> you hear a lot of stuff that's exactly the opposite and and you don't hear the stuff like like you're writing like uh Gordon Lightfoot almost or America or Dan Fogelberg kind of it's it's these really great songwriters who are nowadays underappreciated and that's what what I like about your music is your sound is is a lot like these artists that I really like but that I tend to think are underappreciated yeah yeah I hear you I yeah I guess it's just really you know the music you grow up with and hear when you're young it kind of gets in your DNA and yeah. just you know and, 
like a lot of those artists you mentioned, and of course, Neil Young and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Poco and, you know, early, early Eagles and, you know, stuff like that is is there. But then it also kind of gets filtered through everything that happens like afterwards. I mean, it's funny you mentioned Antidote because when that song was written and recorded, I was just kind of really crazy about like the British, um, like the trip hop scene. Oh, really? And so like just that moody with, you know, cause it's got like the, the drum machine beat. Yeah. And so like I was experimenting a little bit with that, that mood really spoke to me, you know, like Portishead just was like, I was insane about Portishead oh, yeah. and they're, they're really organic, you know, they're like trip hoppy, but they, he never used a drum machine. You know, he always made his own loops, recorded the own loops and like printed them on vinyl. And it was just like, I love, I loved his, uh, his methodology. It was just really, really deep. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't. Okay. So that kind of explains a little bit of the sound that you hear and the moodier stuff is, and I don't want to say darker stuff because it's not really dark it's just to me it's just kind of more moody like uh, high watermark songs in that vein on every album and those are the ones that are always that have been my favorites oh cool nice to hear now at this point so you've got the the full the ep and you're starting to put out albums is it a full-time band i mean are you touring and recording is this is this what you're doing all the time um it was for a short period of time like there was a lot of um you know, kind of not like full tours, uh, through the U S but definitely like up and down the coast. But, you know, it's touring in the U S is just so tough and yeah. it's hard to get people to sign on. And, you know, I didn't start down pilot as a 20 year old, you know, I was well into my thirties before that band started. And, oh, okay. and, and so like, the people my age who are in the band like have jobs and it's yeah. not like piling into a van and sleeping, you know, on the floor and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. You yeah, know, I did do that. I, I did that with breaking circus. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It was, it was sort of more like, um, yeah, maybe we're just kind of going to be more of a, like a studio band. And we, we were playing a lot locally and yeah. And it wasn't until, you know, I got approached by Tapeta Records in Germany that that just kind of like changed the whole touring possibility thing to me because I had always had my eye on Europe and it always, you know, always friends with, um, you know, Seattle friends, the walkabouts. Oh, yeah. And I would, you know, Anne Marie, who played with us, was also playing in the walkabouts at the time. And she would tell me about touring Europe and just how much more civilized it is, you know, <laughs> and the the distances are shorter. And yeah. I just I, I you know, I, I dig the old country. So oh. um, so it was it was always alluring to me. And when I had the opportunity to start doing that, I jumped at it. All right. So I have a question about the band name. 
how did you come up with the name down pilot is is there something behind it and what what, what is down pilot well if if you've seen the ep it's you know like first it was down pilot like two words and then then i sort of mashed them together and, and created my own new word down pilot. <laughs> but, but it was, it was sort of more just like trying to just like moving through like the underground, like moving through something that's, that's hidden, moving through something that's deeper. I don't okay. know that that was just sort of, I like the sound of the words and that's sort of what it evoked. I, uh, I think it's a great name. I really like it. Cool. Thanks. It's uh, it's it's very unique, and that's one of the things I hear constantly on this podcast: is how hard it is to come up with a name that ten other bands don't have. It was really hard, <laughs> which is why I've never changed it for a long time. I mean, it was really uncomfortable for a while because I have to I have to tell you a story. We were just about to put. Uh, thrive in a short season our first ep out it was like a month away from being released and 9-11 happened oh wow and we were still using the word down and pilot and i just i don't know like all of a sudden we were like should we change it should we change it and then somebody in the band goes well there's another band called i am the world trade center and they haven't changed it oh my god (laughs) So I was like, well, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. And maybe, you know, maybe we'll get through it. I think that was part of the reason why I mashed the words together. It became less about a pilot being down, you know, it it kind of gave it a different meaning. I'll tell you a a funny story that I heard. And I I remember this because it happened. I saw this interview. It was with uh, Scott Ian of Anthrax. And when they had all the Anthrax scares, they're like, Maybe we should change our name. <laughs> and, you know, at this point, they've been anthrax for 25 years or something, you know, 20 years. And so he's like, I maybe, maybe we should change it. I don't know. What do, what do you think? And they've thrown out all these possibilities. And one that I always thought was awesome that they, sh- I think they sh- probably should have changed to was Basket of Puppies. <laughs> I would oh love. Oh my god! I think wow. having Anthrax come out as Basket of Puppies would have been amazing. I would have gone to see that show. Well, you know, you've already got your fan base established, exactly. and then you can embrace your band as Basket of Puppies. <laughs> that's that's a fantastic transition. That would have been amazing. <laughs> that, uh, I I'm, I still think they should have done that. But. Maybe I'll steal that. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that could be, see, that could be your metal band. <laughs> so the band has, uh, I mean, you've released albums fairly consistently. When you're recording, is it just you doing all the recording? Is it the band in the in the studio? And are you the principal songwriter, the only songwriter? How's it going? How's it with things work in the studio for you? So... I'm the only songwriter, and so uh, usually I just start, you know, feeling like it's time to record a new album and really have to make myself a deadline to get going on it (laughs) and start corralling all these, like, lyrical, you know, napkins that I scrawled notes on or iPhone recorded memos where I had like a chord progression or a lick or a melody and just try to like assemble all this stuff and see what's worth pursuing. And often what I'll do is, you know, I have a pretty good, I've um, 
built a pretty good recording setup at home. And so I'll start kind of finishing writing the song, but you know, it's often I start recording the song and sometimes it's really hard to like, not just keep pursuing that and using it as the song. Right. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, if, if it's just you, is it hard to know when it's done? Yeah. Just keep tinkering with it. Yeah, it's really hard. And, you know, sometimes, so uh, Jeff Brown, who's an original member, and Anne Marie, uh, who's also kind of an original member, you know, I st- we're s- they're still part of the live band, and I still use them on the recordings, usually kind of for overdubs. And I'll use them to kind of run material by and just check in and go, okay, does this sound done? Does this need something? And so, th- you know, they help me a lot still. Oh, that's good. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. It's good to have somebody to to bounce stuff off of, especially if they're familiar with the band, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Got to have it. Otherwise, yeah, I I will definitely make myself crazy uh, in the process. (laughs) (laughs) You know, this last album, I really wanted to have it a little bit more written and then bring it to the band to record. But of course, you know, it was difficult circumstances and COVID was still happening and it just didn't happen this time. I, I, I keep promising myself the next record will be like that. So <laughs> we'll see if I stick to it next time. Well, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about. Your albums have come out every two to four years, which is really consistent. And there's a five-year gap between the last two. So was is there a non-COVID <laughs> reason for the gap or was it basically the pandemic's fault? It was kind of the pandemic's fault. A lot of people said they benefited from the lockdown and got creative because they had time and a privacy or, you know, whatever, isolation. But I didn't really experience that. For one, like my day job never slowed down. I'm a carpenter and I do remodels and everybody wanted work done. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was really busy and... Also, I just didn't feel like I was in a great headspace for it. I was like, I don't want to write the, the, the you know, the COVID album. Right, yeah. The lockdown album. Because a lot of people did, and that's fine. And, you know, like I thought it was cool that people were releasing records during that period of time. But yeah. I just wasn't feeling it. And then... When I finally did finish this one, it, it's been done for almost a year. Oh, wow. uh, so this is a, another COVID related thing. Um, we had to get in line for vinyl to be manufactured. And so, you know, by the time it comes out, it's going to be already kind of a year old, which is really weird because I just put it away. And now all of a sudden things are starting to happen and I'm kind of revisiting the album and, oh, man. and, and reacquainting <laughs> myself with it and feeling like, okay, this is a little hard because in a way I've already moved on from it. But then again, I haven't because I never learned to perform it. Oh, uh, wow. I've, I've never played any of these songs live. So I'm, I'm like next, um, next weekend I'm about to play some songs. I've got a little show in LA and, uh, going to perform some songs for the first time. Oh my gosh. So this album technically would have fallen within your normal release schedule then if it was Yeah, a little closer. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. So that was going to be one of my questions was, have you had a chance to play any of these out yet? And so the answer is no. 
No. <laughs> and it's terrifying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, like I, I told you a couple times in this, I really love your darker brooding songs the most out, out of, out of the catalog. I mean, I like the lighter stuff too, but something hits me with songs like High Watermark, A Wave, A Shot. the kind of stuff i like oh, cool deep I, cuts yeah I, those are the ones i loved they just there's just a, a touch of, of darkness to those that i really really enjoy but i do like the lighter songs too like like um in the morning edge of the flood sky is lightning birds that fly through the night Elongate the days And it makes you feel right I hear you stand Head in hand At the edge of the flood Given to All the change Those are the ones that really remind me a lot of uh, like uh, Dan Fogelberg, James Taylor kind of songwriting and it's that's what uh, I know. That's what my wife likes. Uh-huh. So, so this album is speaking to my family. So oh, you're, cool. you're discovering for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, I usually go for the, the harder rock stuff. So maybe that's why I like the heavier stuff, yeah. the darker stuff. But, uh, but, but I guess my point is that I really like the way you, you write both the lighter stuff and the darker stuff. Your, your lighter stuff has a, a vulnerability like Dan Fogelberg or James Taylor. And I, I, I like that a lot. Cool. Yeah, it's funny. The the lighter titles that you just mentioned, I'm thinking, wow, those are actually some of the darker lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I got to pay more attention to lyrics. Yeah, that's, I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of the nice dichotomy is that you can cloak this misery drenched lyric <laughs> in a, a snappy pop melody. <laughs> That's good songwriting. <laughs> it is. So, so the new album, we mentioned that it's called The Forecast. And is there uh, is there anything behind the album title? I know that it, the last song on the album is The Forecast. These days of winter are feeling like a war. Don't want to mess up the bed. So chose that for the album title um that song really just sort of appeared like it was every once in a while when i'm songwriting just a song will happen uh without me forcing it or sitting down and 
contemplating what is this about? Like it, that one really just came. And I just thought, you know, the title felt fitting. I don't want to say, you know, here, here I said that I didn't want to make a, a COVID album, but I, I think during that period of time, you know, everybody was wondering what's next, what's, what's coming, you know, in not only, you know, everybody's health, but just, you know, the state of the world. It's, it was just a, a time of contemplation and, and wondering like what's next. So it, oh, it sure. felt appropriate for that. And again, you hit these great, these awesome tracks. I've listened. So I told you, I've listened to the discography and I've got to say three of my top five of your tracks are on this new album. Wow. Right on. It's, and I love my favorite neighborhood. desert that has just got a really cool vibe to it oh awesome but my favorite and this is this is number one out of everything i've listened to is balancer okay yeah that song is i've i was on my ride home i was listening to i listened to the album i got like a 45 minute drive home and so i was listening to the album again to refresh myself for tonight and i listened to it once and then i just kept hitting repeat on balancer just oh, nice. Over and over again. That song, it just gets me. I love the harmonies on and, and the, the darkness to that song. It just sounds like the, the rest of the, your catalog that I've, uh, I'm really drawn to. getting back to the push pull of like the the dark lyric and the snappy melody that's kind of the opposite like that one <laughs> i wanted to write a really reassuring lyric like kind of talking to a friend saying everything's going to be okay and that's the music that just kind of came out on top of it so it's yeah i guess that's the balancer is it can't be happy and happy sounding or dark and dark sounding it has to be like like <laughs> the yin great. yang thing that's one of the songs that reminds me of like america or one of those bands that where the harmonies are amazing and yeah that's just, definitely my my csn song r.i.p david crosby yeah. so sad oh god i wasn't expecting that i just uh yeah that one that one hit kind of kind of rough yeah that was pretty sudden yeah didn't they want to do a CSNY reunion tour and Neil said no not too long ago. 
Yeah, I'm sure, I'm, if anybody would say no, it yeah. would be Neil. So, <laughs> but the, the, you know, the other three didn't get along very well. So I can't. I don't know. I guess if Probably if you just decide it's for the money and you ride in your own own bus and only see each other on stage, then maybe it can work. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or maybe that's what Neil. Well, I don't know. Neil Neil's kind of a picky dude. Maybe that that probably would have been the best way to get him to do it. So. Yeah. Well, I've heard I've heard stories of bands that that do that. <laughs> yeah. I, it, I can't imagine. I mean, so actually, that's that's a good point. So you create most of this music your own. You, you're writing it. Do the other band members when they're playing it and you're you're bringing it to them to learn? I mean, are they making suggestions or when you're you know when you're bouncing it off of them to listen to? Are they making suggestions on arrangements or, or anything like that? When we're just like learning it to play live, you mean? Yeah. Or, you know, after you've written something and you're, you're bouncing it off them to see how, if they think it's, it's finished, uh, like we were talking about a little earlier, uh, oh, right. do they have a lot of input in, in the music or is it pretty much just what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I try to be open for input. I think, you know, usually when it comes, when it comes to the point where I'm playing it for other people, the arrangement's pretty set. It's sort of more like, is this part, does it need another texture or more like har vocal harmonies? Um, I think for a while I was really more austere about, about using voc vocal, like background vocals. And uh, one of my people that I use on my records, uh, Terry DeCastro, who lives in Los Angeles. She is a longtime member of the wedding present. Yes. Oh, great. And so she's also like, actually for the last two albums, I probably run stuff by her more than anybody just send her files and, um, and she, I'll send her rough mixes and she'll put down vocal harmonies that I just would never think about. Oh, you know? cool. So she always surprises me with stuff that way, uh, which is cool. It's always nice to be surprised. And also another L.A. person, the violinist on the last three albums, uh, Melinda Rice, she blows me away. She just like comes up with this stuff that just all of a sudden just opens the song up to a completely new feeling. Um, is she been playing on the on the new album? The studio? Yes. Oh, God. It's she's amazing. Isn't she? Yeah. I was blown away by that. Oh, it's added so much. It was so awesome. Yeah. The previous two albums, I went down to LA to record her. And during COVID, she moved back to Pennsylvania, where she's from. And so this was the first time that I wasn't able to like be there and be a control freak or whatever. <laughs> um, I just sent her files and she just sent back her takes that she came up with. And I mean, like on the track Strangers Hotel, which is just this multi-string arranged part. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, oh my God. That's this what I was talking about.
is awesome. And then the first, so the first single, Black Eye. Yeah. I always mean to ask this to people and I always forget. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a process to pick what's the first single off of a new album? I mean, because that kind of sets the tone a lot of the times. What, do you have a process to pick it or do you, is somebody else, somebody at the record label decide or how does that whole thing work? Usually I'll come up with an order that just feels right. I'm not, I don't really subscribe to any particular philosophy. Like the first track has to be the single or it has to be anything. Like there's just something about when you assemble the tracks, how they feel uh, to me, you know? Yeah. And so I'll put together my order and then I'll ask uh, Terry DeCastro help me on the last couple albums and then Jeff will help me. And, you know, like sometimes I'll take their suggestions and sometimes I won't, you know, sometimes I'll be like, well, I think this is, you know, this is better. Yeah. And this is just, yeah, the, the way it just turns out is more based on feel than on any sort of like formula. You know, it, I thought it kind of funny that black eye is kind of the most poppy, like bright hooky song of the record. Yeah. And normally I wouldn't really want that to open the record because I don't feel like it's set like that's the stage I'm trying to set. Right. Uh, but it just, I don't know. It just kind of worked out that way. And I was like, Oh, what the hell? You know, I'll, uh, I'll lead with this track this time. Oh, that's awesome. playing uh this upcoming weekend do you have shows lined up you're going to be playing to support the album at all or is it going to be kind of regional and is it going to be basically yeah. the same band that's that has been supported you in the past uh yes so i am playing this coming weekend in los angeles um with terry de castro and this violinist who i mentioned melinda is actually going to be in los angeles that weekend so the three of us will get to do an acoustic show oh, and i'm cool. super excited about that because i don't really get to play live with melinda ever oh wow so it's exciting for me and then the album is officially coming out march 17th and we've got a Seattle show on the 15th at the Tractor Tavern. And we will be playing our album release show. And hopefully I'll have merch and send, be able to sell some records that night. Um, oh, awesome. And then, yeah, I'm just kind of like um, trying to get some more local shows lined up. I do have a tour that's pretty much all booked uh, in Germany starting on May 1st. Oh, and that's cool. like like a two-week tour. Oh, nice. So I wish I lived out there because I would love to see this. I, w I would love to hear this stuff live. Where where are you? I'm in Winchester, Virginia, a little outside of D.C. So, okay. All so right. I'm on the exact opposite coast, and I'm nowhere yes, near are. Germany. <laughs> so. You might be closer to Germany than you are to Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> might be. Might be. <laughs> so, like I said, I have just enjoyed... First of all, I enjoy going back and, and discovering your, your back catalog. And this new album, 
out of all of them, if I was going to pick a top five songs, three of those and the num- including the number one is on the brand new album. So cool. I really enjoyed listening to it. And when it comes out, I will be extolling its virtues to anyone who can buy it. So, Oh, awesome. Thank you. I'm just really thrilled. And if you do get a chance to come out to DC, I will be there. I know it's kind of tough having, you know, you have a, you have a business and a family. I mean, that's tough to tour, isn't it? It is, but you know, I I could probably make a, a little bit more of an effort to play shows uh, <laughs> in other areas than the West Coast. Um, we'll see. It's a pain in the butt, though. I, I might surprise you. Who knows? Hey. I did. You know, actually, for the first um, first two albums, I did fly out. I did like tours of New York, <laughs> <laughs> which which you can do. Like I I would do three gigs in New York, Brooklyn. And, you know, like the bookers didn't really care because it's so big and the venues are so different that I was able to do that. So who knows? There's so many places to play there. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's one of the things I liked about DC right now is there's a, there's quite a few venues of all different sizes. So DC is a nice place to play. Well, maybe I'll hit you up for some, you know, booking suggestions. Absolutely. I, I got you. Cool. Now, how can people pre-order the album and pick it up when it comes out and and follow you on social media so they can track the album release date? And if, you know, we have West Coast people that listen where they can catch a show or we do actually have some people in Germany, so maybe they can catch the show, too. Yeah. So I do have a Facebook presence. It's not huge, but uh, there's a Downpilot Facebook page. And I I try to keep, um, you know, all the live stuff current on that. And there, you know, we just came out with a video and released Black Eye as a single on Friday. So you can find that on Facebook and it's on YouTube. And, uh, you know, we don't have like a a website per se, but like, uh, I think the band camp page might be up for pre-order. If not, you can go to, uh, the, the Tepeta records, uh, website, which is, you can find it on the, the Facebook page. So right now, basically the Facebook page is where it's at. I'm going to try to like up my game a little bit for <laughs> the release of the album and actually like get an Instagram thing going. I'm not very good at social media, but uh, you know, stink. I, I actually love Instagram and it's the only one that I really stick with. I, I have I promote the show on Twitter and all. And I've, I've I post links on Facebook, but Instagram, I, I used to be a photographer. So Instagram is my thing. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. And live music is definitely what, what I love to shoot the most. So I've got a page for my own stuff and a page for the podcast. And that's my big social media thing. Twitter. I hate Twitter. If I didn't yeah. have to I'm, use it for the show, I wouldn't. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I'm not going there. <laughs> and I've always hated it. I don't care who owns Twitter. I, I don't care who it, it's, it's always been a cesspool. Yeah. I just yeah. don't, I don't love the format. Yeah. No. I think, I think Instagram's going to happen. So yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll keep an eye out for your, for the down pilot Instagram page. And I, I also used to be a photographer oh, much really? more. Yeah. Um, all, almost all the album covers are my, are my shots. Oh really? Yeah. The current, the current album, uh, definitely is one of my favorite shots. Oh, uh, they're fantastic covers. That's one of the things I you. noticed, you know, kind of, I like that kind of stuff. So that's Awesome. So when did you get into photography? Was it something that you've always done or was it something that came up with needing cover art for the music? 
I had friends that were really, really into photography, and one of them bought me, he started buying me plastic cameras, uh, <laughs> like the Holgas and Dianas. Dianas, yes, I love those things. And that kind of coincided with me moving to Seattle and the first Down Pilot albums. And so it just, yes, I, I do think that like needing cover art drove that a little <laughs> bit more than it normally would have been. Yeah. But, you know, this is before digital photography. So, um, so, you know, there was, it just had a different feeling. And oh. well, especially it's, it's, the, those cameras, the Holgas and the Dianas, I mean, there's so many light leaks and lens warpage. It's, they're just insane. They're oh yeah. Awesome. Those, those beautiful mistakes. Yeah. I've, I went to college for photography. I went to RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology. Oh, right. My, my uh, photo one professor brought one in one day and I was just like, what is this? You're a professional photographer. Why do you have this stupid plastic camera? He's like, I'm going to take everybody's portrait on this and you guys are going to love it. And we went outside in, in the fall and he, he took these shots and they were just amazing. I was uh, sold as soon yeah. as I saw those. Yeah, it's insane. They're they're so cool. Um, the poor, you know, poor young people who have never really experienced film cameras like that, junky film cameras like that. It's it's like oh, you yeah. can't. I mean, maybe you can put a Holga filter on an iPhone photo, but I don't know. It's, it's not. The it's going to be the same. No, it's not the same. It's. I, to be fair, I don't shoot film anymore. I just yeah yeah. My my son is actually getting into it, and uh, he's he's nineteen, and he's picked up a couple of old cameras, some old like one twenties, and uh, he loves those things. Like, and he's even got a couple old brownies that he's trying to fix up so he can shoot. Oh, fun! And uh, I, I'm trying to encourage him as much as I can, but I'm also trying to tell him, <laughs> good luck trying to find a place to process the film. Right. It's, yeah. And buy film. I mean, I don't even know where you buy film anymore for this stuff. Yeah. It's, I think we're it's, down to just like a couple stores in Seattle who still, uh, uh, who still sell film and may, I can only think of one processing lab. I mean, it's, it's getting rough. It's amazing. When I was in college for it, we used to go, you know, we, we would have to shoot a ton of film for every assignment and you would go to the, uh, to the academic side and, they had, if you go to the darkroom areas, they had all the processing chemicals that you needed in spigots in the wall. It was, <laughs> it was like a tap room and you just take your, oh my God. yeah, you take these big jugs and you just go to the wall and, and that was all part of your tuition. Film and paper weren't, you had to buy those, but the chemicals, you could just go and you fill up your jugs and you process your film, print your pictures. And it was just amazing. So, wow. Yeah, wow. well, that was ninety one. Okay, so yeah, so in fact, I remember my a friend of mine had the very first edition of Photoshop, and it looked ridiculous. I remember looking at this his crappy computer and looking at this stuff. Everything looked like Max Headroom, but like eight bit Max. I'm like, who who the hell is ever going to want to use this? This is ridiculous. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> shows what I know. I know, I know. It's uh, deep now, boy. It really is. So, so there's a whole other thing for you. You get your Instagram page, and you can you can uh, put up your Holga shots. I'm pretty sure they have got a whole Holga Diana appreciation page on yeah. Instagram and on. I I know there's one on Facebook because I joined it. 
Okay. Okay. I'll I'll keep an eye out. De- yeah, definitely. And if you ever get on Instagram, check out my personal page. It's got all my band photos, my my live concert photos. So Yeah, I think that's the other thing that's driving me to join Instagram is like as an outsider, you can't view it. Yeah. You can't you can't really visit it. It's like you get a little tease yeah. and then it, then all of a sudden the big blocking thing comes up saying join Instagram. It's like, okay. The hardest part for me when I first joined was that I couldn't upload from even if I when I joined I couldn't upload from my computer. So I had to basically any shots that I had on my computer that I wanted to post, I had to email to my cell phone and then post from there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I had to download it on onto my photos in my cell phone and then yep. upload it that way. I still have to do it that way, but I was sitting there going, Oh, I'll join Instagram, I'll put up my photos that I've had scanned. And nope. Couldn't do it. Uh, okay. I have I'm forewarned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. I'm like, why isn't this working? Why and then well, let me just try it this way. And that emailing it to myself. So now my photos folder on my phone is just outrageous. Yeah, now you have to buy a bigger phone. I do. I'm yeah. I think we're gonna have to this weekend. <laughs> I'm, I'm about <laughs> out of memory. Uh, well, Paul, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I've really enjoyed talking the music and the photography with you. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Cool. Thanks so much for asking me. It's been a really fun for me. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.